the biggest value that came from from that discovery was this idea of focusing your interview not on the problem, but instead on understanding their buying journey. Because in understanding their buying journey, you get access to all of this rich context that you weren't otherwise getting. And you were learning so much, particularly as a marketer, that could go directly into your strategy. You're listening to Customer Show, the podcast that explores what makes people tick, click, and buy. I'm your host, Caitlin Burgoyne. I'm a marketer by trade and a four-time founder by choice. And I believe whoever gets closer to the customer wins. So here's the multi-million dollar question. In a world where everyone is fighting for your buyer's attention, how do people like us marketers and entrepreneurs who want to drive more sales without working around the clock or resorting to shady marketing techniques? How do we persuade more customers to buy from us? That's the question, and this show has the answers. Hey everyone, this is Caitlin Burgoyne, and I'm joined by Stuart Hillhouse for our first behind-the-scenes episode of Customer Show. We're going to record this kind of episode every once in a while to give you a peek behind the curtains at what's happening at Customer Camp and what our team is working on. And most importantly, sharing with you what we've learned along the way. Yeah, awesome. It's great to be here. And this is going to be a really cool first episode because we just had a massive launch. So we're going to dive into that. But before we get started, I want to open with a question. What does it mean to listen to your customers? And I ask this question because it's certainly something that every marketer or salesperson or founder has had to consider. How do you listen to your customers? And more importantly, how do you then turn that information into a better customer experience that makes people buy more from you? So I figured it'd be a good question to get us kicked off on this conversation so we could go through and give some really concrete examples of how we at Customer Camp listen to our customers. So let's get started, Caitlin. Can you tell us a little bit about what the product launch was and a little background on how it came to be? Sure. So we launched a new product called our Clarity Call Cheat Sheets. And we launched that in the first week of December. And we did it as a Cyber Monday special. So Cyber Monday, typically known in the online world as a day to offer crazy deals. And we offered a good deal on this product on that day. So essentially what the Clarity Calls Cheat Sheets is, is we took our method for interviewing customers to really understand their buying journey. So you can document that and use it to inform marketing. So this is a process that we teach internally. We teach it through our training and we work with clients one-on-one for research projects. And so we've refined this process over time and basically just documented the most important pieces and put those into our cheat sheets. So this was the first time we've offered a digital kind of download from customer camp that we were selling. And we really wanted to make sure, of course, that we were eating our own dog food throughout the process. So the decision as to what we were going to create, how we were going to launch it, who it was going to be for, all of that was led by listening to our customers. So I'm excited to kind of dive into some of that with you. But what I will share is that 
things went well. So we actually far exceeded our goals that we set for this product. We exceeded them by, I think, about 66%. And that was pretty exciting. And the feedback we've been getting from buyers has been amazing. So overall, this was a very successful product launch for us. And we're looking forward to continuing to do these types of resources for customers in the future. It was really cool to launch to be part of. Like I'd never been part of a of a launch like this before. I'd been on the receiving end. Like I I've paid people on Cyber Monday and Black Friday for years. So it was cool to be on the on the other side where now we have something that we're bringing to market and build up all that all that intensity beforehand and then kind of fulfill it afterwards. So I joined Customer Camp in September and. Clarity call cheat sheets were already on the agenda as something that you and the other teammates had been researching and documenting. And this has been really a couple of years in the making. So I wasn't even around when you were kind of in the weeds doing these interviews and refining your process and getting all the things ready for this eventual launch. So this is going to be new for me to hear kind of from you what what originally sparked this idea. So let's let's start right from the beginning. So you're you're starting to give uh, done-for-you services to startups and marketing teams who are trying to understand their customers better. Tell me about how you were refining your process as you were going. Sure. It actually started with us doing primarily training, and we were teaching teams how to better understand their customers. And doing customer discovery calls, as they're often called, was a big part of that. It was one of the four workshops that we had as part of our four-part workshop series. And it was always the one that teams would get the most excited about, That the teams that actually took what they learned in the workshop and went out and applied it in the real world, they would always get the biggest outcomes from the whole program. And so we started to see demand from people who would say, okay, I really want to do more of this work, but I want your help with it. Will your team come and do it for us? And so we started offering kind of done for you research services as well. Now we did a smaller number of those. The training, um, the training business really was where about 80% of our time was being spent. But so we knew that there was demand for us to teach people how to do it. We knew that there was demand for people who wanted us to do it for them. So the question became, is there a way that we can fulfill more demand? Because all of our workshops are done live. We primarily were serving companies in Atlantic Canada because of the model we use. We we sell our workshops through partners. Um, those partners are like incubators or accelerators or business support organizations, primarily in Atlantic Canada. And so we kept getting, you know, I in particular kept getting asked by people outside of the region if I could host a workshop for them or if I had any resources I could sell them to help them learn how to better understand their customers. So I knew that the demand was there because I kept getting asked for it and I didn't have something to offer people because we didn't do one, you know, one-off workshops at the time. The majority of the workshops were being done in Atlantic Canada. And if you weren't local, you weren't able to participate. I remember I had a workshop going on and there was a company based out of Boston. He was like, I'll fly, I'll come. Can I just come? And I was like, I'm sorry, you can't. It's, you you have to be an Atlantic Canadian company because of who the partner was. They only fund and support training for Atlantic Canadian companies. So I knew the demand was there. The question was, 
who is this, you know, who should I develop this product for? Because Mm -hmm. depending on which audience we were going to focus on, the product would look very different. So as I was doing more of my training and out delivering this these workshops live and of course talking to the participants and learning more about their businesses i started to see an interesting pattern and that was that the people who took to this you know interview method the most and the people who were able to just kind of go and run with it and most importantly really be able to pull amazing insights out of the people they were interviewing and figure out exactly how to action those insights tended to be people that were coming from a marketing background so they might be founders of companies who had a marketing background or they were the marketers on the team and they really just understood kind of innately how to have these conversations with customers once they were given the method and when they would be conducting these interviews, they'd be able to hear things and know how to action that in their marketing plan. And that made me think, you know, at the time I was like, well, maybe this is something that we can teach specifically to marketers. So go back to about 2018. And I ended up doing a number of interviews with um, agency owners wanting to understand maybe that's the audience that really needs to learn this method. And from those interviews, heard a lot, learned a lot. A lot of the agency owners were hungry to understand their clients' customers better, but there was this huge roadblock for them in that their customers, their clients rather, often didn't want to pay for research. They were unwilling (laughs) to pay for research. They just wanted the services to start right away and the agency to start producing creative. And research was often something that was very hard to get onto the the line item (laughs) of, Mm. of their of their budgets. And so that kind of made me backpedal a little bit. I started to wonder maybe maybe marketers aren't really the audience and maybe I need to actually do some work in educating marketers and companies around how important this is. So I really spent, you know, a couple of years building up my following, sharing stories of people who are going through our training, who are getting great results, sharing data from companies like ProfitWell or CoSchedule who are doing a ton of research into this kind of thing and showing the types of results that research-driven marketing can get and trying to basically be a cheerleader for research being an essential step in marketing. And that you know, through the process of doing that, I get a lot of marketers DMing me and being like, oh my God, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. Now does she need to convince my boss? <laughs> like somebody, you know, needs to tell my bosses because they won't let me talk to customers and they never want to do research. Right. And so, you know, just in having interviews with, you know, people who we thought would be a fit and having detailed conversations with participants who are going through my workshop and in listening to what people in my social sphere were saying and the challenges they were having, it helped us to continue to refine what this product was going to be, who it was going to be for, and how we were going to deliver value. One thing I'll say too is that in talking to a lot of these marketers and in being one myself, there's so many demands for your time and there's so many people out there promising the silver bullet solution. You know, if you just knew this one quick trick or, you know, you just buy my, you know, 10 hour video course, you're going to get all the answers you need. I knew that marketers had experienced 
the letdown of these disappointing products and experience the friction of buying something and then realizing very quickly that just to kind of learn it was going to take 10, 15 hours that they didn't have. And so that insight also led to what this was, which was it was framed as a cheat sheet. This is to help you kick, like get off the ground and running quickly. It's at a glance, it's like skimmable. It's a resource that you can get and run with right away, as opposed to having to put a lot of time in to learning the methods before you can actually get value out. So that was really important too. Mm, Yeah. It, It seems like there's two kind of major buckets that we could look at in the customer listening and research world, that's informal research and listening. And then there's formal research and listening. So the informal stuff that you mentioned was by putting out content online and starting to build a personal brand, you had like-minded people who would start following you. And and then you would be able to kind of identify pockets of people who have the same pain points because mm-hmm. of how they responded to your content. Then you start getting direct messages from them. Each one of those is kind of an informal, but very concrete example of a pain point someone's having and an insight that they're giving you for free. Like they're just giving it to you, right? Mm-hmm. So there's kind of the, the high level stuff over on social media where you can listen at a, at a high level and see what, what pops off and what, lays, what lands flat and doesn't get the response you're looking for. Then there's the having the workshops so that you actually bring in customers who might look like your ideal customer, but we don't know yet. And so after the workshop, you can then ask them again and say, hey, how did that go? Was that really helpful for you or is it only kind of helpful for you? And that allowed you to measure at a more concrete level whether those, to your point about founders having difficulty doing the interviews, whereas marketers were able to to jump on it pretty quickly, depending on which role showed up to your workshop, right? Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, the formal, you know, on the formal side, we, I did a formal research project specifically with the agencies. And then as I identified, okay, like maybe there's more work to be done here to kind of like galvanize that this is a method that is essential, that that was really valuable. But I still, you know, I I still had the sense that it was going to be the marketers that were going to lead this movement. And all I needed to do was to continue to arm them with the arguments that they needed to bring this forward to their teams. So I did some formal interviews with those people who were reaching out. And then I kind of would document what the language was that they were using when they would reach out and what they would say their problems were and their pain points were and keep that all as a resource that was going to help me later when it came to writing copy and figuring out how to position and frame this offering. I got, I got two questions there. How did, how, what does it actually look like on your computer? Like, how do you document those kind of insights as you hear them? So that is like, that has been the evolution of what's actually in the cheat sheet. So a really important resource for me was creating what we sell in it as part of the cheat sheet, which is the interview summary. So those summaries from each interview, basically we over, we review the most important things that as a marketer is going to help you to do your job better. And those are all part of the summary. And so basically it's a series of summaries. Now our summary we offer within the cheat sheets, we have a kind of like, 
beautiful PDF version that the, you know, if you want to present something to your client, let's say you're doing this work on behalf of a client or to your team, you could send that, you could share this kind of like this with them. And it could be like, these are all the interesting things we heard from an interview. But then we also have just a kind of like Google Docs version where you can put a bunch of stuff in. You're not kind of restricted to the character count that you can fit in a, in a box in a fillable PDF. So our version, you know, this is kind of like, again, behind the scenes stuff. Like what we did is I created a Airtable an Airtable document. And with Airtable, one of the views you can have is a survey view, essentially. And so after every call, I would go in, I would fill out that kind of like summary, but it would look like it was a questionnaire. And then all of my interviews would be saved to that Airtable. So that was kind of like our internal process because we were doing a good number of these. Again, for a lot of people that we teach, they don't need to have as, as detailed of a process. They are good with just the PDF, or maybe they put it in a Google Doc and they just share it that way. You mentioned one of the pain points that came up when you were teaching the workshops and then doing it for other people was transitioning someone to become one of the interviewers. Mm -hmm. Like if you handed them that PDF saying, here's all the great insights, let's action it. That's one, like that's one side of it, but to actually do those interviews and start being comfortable asking your customer for advice and feedback. That that sounded to me like that was a a pain point that you needed to provide a solution for. Mm -hmm. Well, initially when I was teaching this, I would give them somewhat of a script and some guidance and I would, you know, they would then go off into the real world and they were, you know, they were supposed to apply this, but the challenges that I would hear the number one, one of the big ones was they wouldn't know who to talk to or how to get them to commit to an interview. And so they would reach out to people and maybe they'd get no replies or they They would just inundate the people they were reaching out to with like information, give too much information that people would not know what they were really asking for, would think they're trying to sell them something. And so the first bottleneck that I knew that they had was that they needed to be able to ask people to join them for an interview in a way that got people to actually say yes. And so that was kind of one of the first scripts that I wrote and I started giving out as part of the materials to the people who are coming through our workshops so that they would know how to actually approach a prospect so that they could get them to say yes to an interview without overwhelming them or confusing them as to what they were asking for. The other thing that, again, like this process has been refined over a lot of time. When I first started teaching this, a lot of the work I was building, you know, I was standing on the shoulder of giants and people who had been teaching customer discovery for a long time. And I read a lot of books from people primarily in the tech startup space. So there's uh, a great book by Cindy Alvarez called Lean Customer Development. And there's, of course, the Lean Startup book. And Ash Marrera has a lot of content on this. And he had a script on how to interview customers. And all of that was fine. And I was initially teaching that. But I, you know, there was, Oftentimes, I would see the people who were who were using these tools, they kind of just run through the script. They wouldn't really 
it wasn't so much of a conversation as it felt like a survey and they got answers, but they didn't know what to do with them because there was kind of no post-interview process for them, right? It was like, what do you actually, what were you supposed to be listening for and how do you mm. actually action any of this? And so that led me to keep searching. Like there's got to be a better method out there for, for leading these interviews and actually being able to figure out how to action them. And that helped me to kind of discover the jobs to be done world and some of the work that had happened in that world. And the biggest value that came from, from that discovery was this idea of focusing your interview, not on the problem that a prospect had with their current solution, which was really what was being taught in the customer discovery world, but instead on understanding their buying journey, because in understanding their buying journey, you get access to all of this rich context that you weren't otherwise getting. And you were learning so much, particularly as a marketer that could go directly into your strategy. And so I adjusted things and I started teaching that method. But again, I went out and I looked for what what exists and how are people teaching this and i took an online program by one of the architects of of jobs to be done bob moesta and i read everything that alan clement who's another thought leader on this had produced and i still came up kind of in this i still came up challenged in that i wasn't seeing exactly what to do with that information, right? So it's like, if you don't know what you're going to do with the information, then it's harder to lead the interview in a way that you're going to feel really comfortable with. And a lot of the stuff out there was really kind of focused on consumer products. And a lot of people who are coming through my workshop were B2B businesses. And so it wasn't necessarily a good fit for them. And so all of this helped to kind of like refine this process where we came up with an interview script that was far in my, you know, having run through it hundreds of times with different clients and with in my workshop, you know, it's a better fit for a broader number of businesses. And again, by focusing in on the customer's buying journey, suddenly the interviewer knew what they should be listening for, but I also provided tools to help them, you know, a note-taking template that would help them to make note of the important things. And then the real big thing that was for valuable for a lot of them was the interview summary. Cause it's like, okay, I just conducted that interview. I gathered a lot of information. I learned a lot about the details of their buying journey. What does this mean for me? And then when they actually can summarize it and categorize all of the kind of key learnings from that interview, they can start to see exactly where it fits into their marketing plan. Mm-hmm. And this is about when, when I joined the team. So you'd done all this stuff previous before I came on board and then I came on board to join the marketing side of things. And what really blew me away in the first kind of week was you just giving me these resources saying, hey, here is a folder chock full of interview summaries, key moment takeaways, buying journeys. And you had them all segmented by different types of marketer. Like here's the agency person. Here's mm-hmm. the one who works at a, at a consumer company. Here's the in-house marketer for B2B. I was able to, to very quickly absorb your learnings because it had been summarized so well and allowed me to then start doing marketing uh, for customer camp without having to kind of just listen for too long. Like, you Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Where you kind of, you're new to the industry. So you kind of have assumptions from before, but you have to get rid of all those and kind of see it with a fresh set of eyes. I was able to do that, but I was also able to have that context you mentioned of the buyer journey these people are going on because you'd already Mm -hmm. spoken to dozens of them and documented that. And so when 
the launch started rolling and we started talking about having to get email emails written and social media copy written and start to build up a bit of a pre-launch interest in our product before we went live, I was able to do that work in a much more efficient way because I wasn't having to make stuff up, send it to you, and then you say, well, that's not even close to being right. I could pre-validate it with the all the summaries that you'd already had. And that's the goal, right? I mean, every leader and whether you're, you know, leading a marketing team or whether you're the founder of a company or whether you're a freelancer who's hiring contractors to help you, like you want to bring in great people and you want to give them the tools that they need to perform well in their role. And so often it's just expected that that person's going to read the leader's mind <laughs> and be able to know all of this stuff or that they are going to have, you know, some familiarity with the industry and therefore they should, they should just kind of have all this context. But, you know, as a company, if you want to position yourselves as unique and your offering is unique, you really need to know not just who you're going after, but you need to know why they want your product and when they might want your product. And you need to be able to translate all of that that I'm hearing in all of these kind of like DMs and then I'm observing online and that I'm hearing in my workshops. And you need to put that into something that somebody else can take and run with. And so you mentioned some of the stuff that we share with you. We also have a persona where we'd kind of like describe some of our different audiences and what made them unique. I feel like these are just the tools you need as a, as a company if you're expecting to bring on team members and give them what they need to be successful in their role. Because if you don't give them this, then what you do need to give them is time. Yeah, that was really helpful for me as uh, as a new marketer at the company to have that context. And because the launch was already in the calendar, you had to get me ramped up really quickly to know the context so that I could be helping out on this launch. You also had a lot of the steps ready for this product launch. And this was my first product launch that I was part of. So part of me was equal parts excited and nervous as it came to the day where we actually clicked submit and officially launched the the cart so people could start buying. How did how are you feeling uh, right before we opened up and 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 did a, did a full on product launch? Yeah, I mean, I would echo your sentiment. I was feeling excited and nervous. <laughs> of course, as a marketer that teaches and believes in understanding your customers and that that understanding is going to allow you to have more success in marketing. If our launch flopped, that would have felt shitty. <laughs> like <laughs> I would have had a hard, like, you know, like the, I would have, of course, I would have taken it in stride and I would have been like, okay, what did we get wrong? And how do we go back and figure this out? And where were the assumptions that we, what assumptions led us astray, but it would have felt bad. And so I was, you know, particularly nervous because I I felt like not only did I want this launch to be successful for financial reasons and to be able to help more of the people who had been asking for our support, but I needed this launch to be successful because as a person that teaches what I teach, it's I wouldn't feel comfortable continuing to position myself as somebody who's an expert in this and can help you do it too if I can't do it, right? So, yeah. you know, particularly nervous for sure, but confident because we had had so much kind of like in our pre-launch, like there was the pre-launch that we worked on internally and there was kind of the pre-launch that had been happening 
in the time before in building out an amazing network of awesome marketers who I knew believed the same things I believe and were willing to help us amplify the message and in growing an audience and sharing our message over and over. So I knew that we'd done the work in the pre-launch. And then when we started planning out our launch, I felt good about the strategy. I felt good about the, you know, the materials we put together. Of course, the cheat sheets themselves, I felt really proud of. I felt like this was a great resource. And had I had it, <laughs> when I was just getting started several years ago, it would have obviously saved me an enormous amount of time. So I felt good about the product felt confident in promoting it, felt good about the sales page. You know, a lot of the language we were using was language that had come directly from customers or had come from me, again, listening online and observing what marketers were complaining about and what their pain points were as it came to getting results with their marketing. So I felt good, but I was still nervous. <laughs> so let's be honest. Well, we what, what I thought that was really cool is even as we were launching this product, there were still there's still strategic feedback loops that we were putting in our marketing material, in the emails we were sending out on Twitter, and then even in the follow-up post-purchase, we we're putting in these listening opportunities to get feedback from people. So if the launch hadn't gone well, we would have learned from that, but it did go well. So we were able to learn what we can improve and how what really push the needle so that we can do it again in the future. And so some of the examples we can we can get into detail, but we had kind of these feedback loops in all of our channels that we used to launch. So the mm-hmm. three main channels that we went through were were email to our email list through Twitter. You have an audience there that you've been building for for a number of years and 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 then the amplification partners who who we've kind of given the name of amplification partners because they're the people who have been who've been roped into our kind of galaxy and they they like what you're saying and they want to see you succeed. And so we knew we had some people in our corner who would vouch for us during this launch. And so to kind of go through each of the, the, the channels and how we've collected that feedback, like email within the sales copy of the emails, we were saying like, oh, is, is this a problem for you? We were, we were kind of, even in the pre-launch stuff, still trying to collect the language of our customers so that we could use it in maybe the next email they got or in the next tweet they saw. Yeah. I mean, with the email, we'd grown that, we started growing an email list and we'd had some changes on the team here. And so it wasn't until you joined us again where I had the capacity to continue doing the newsletter. Now that's because of your amazing support. And so we started being able to re-engage our email list, which we had basically, which I'd basically gone silent on for about six to eight months. And we started to re-engage them. And some of the questions we would ask them in the newsletter, you know, we'd use our PSs strategically asking them to reply. And we're not just asking them to reply because we want to get better open rates across different email systems. We're asking them to reply because we really want to hear their answers. We want to know what they want to learn from us. We want to know what motivated them to maybe download whatever freebie it might be that we have or to sign up for the newsletter in the first place. Because that the answers that they give and the words that they use, it's signal to us as to who are our people, what are they struggling with, what progress are they trying to make in the world? So how we how we can make sure that we shape our offerings around that. So email was a really great one because email is a two-way conversation, right? Mm-hmm. And 
a lot of companies don't always use it that way. You know, sometimes they use it to blast out offers, but not to actually engage one-on-one with the people at the receiving end of those of those newsletters or of those campaigns. And yeah. so one thing I'd encourage people to do as they're trying to like up their listening is actually think of email as an opportunity for a dialogue and engage the people on the other end and ask them to reply. So we did that. With Twitter, one thing that that you proposed and that was such a great a great thing that we did was in a part of our pre-launch and trying to build an appetite for what it was we were bringing. You know, I teased at it and we said this we're thinking of putting this together. And what do you guys think? Would you be interested? And of course, we knew that this was well in production and that we were going to be putting it out. But we did that because we wanted to get people thinking about this being a resource that they might want. And one of the things in our episode with Bob Molesta, he talks about you can kind of plant that first thought by asking a question. And so we asked, you know, we're, you know, I, we're thinking about putting this resource together would be something you'd be interested in. And I don't know how many responses we got to that, but I think it was, it was at least maybe 50 or 60. Yeah. Like it was, it was a good number of people. And so we saved that, you know, a link to that thread and we knew once we launched this, we would go back to these people and we'd be able to say, Hey, like this is here now. Do you want, you know, here you can go and grab it today. And so again, we use that as an opportunity to put the question out there to create that first thought in our audience's mind around if this thing comes, do I want it? Yeah, I want it. And then it's also they're seeing other people, people who look like them, people maybe that they know from the Twitterverse who are saying, yeah, I want it too. And so that's kind of creating social proof. And the other big channel that you mentioned that we use was our amplification partners. And I've seen this done successfully by lots of people over the years. And at the end of the day, what it comes down to is people don't care what you say about yourself that much, right? They care about what other people say about you. And so by reaching out to incredible people in our network that are other marketers that are peers in our space and asking if they would be willing to share what we're working on. As simple as clicking retweet. We did that and that helped us to get a lot more exposure. You know, we had amazing people like Rand Fishkin and Hinton Shaw who are willing to share this with their audience. I think between the two of them alone, that's a million people. And so we really were able to leverage those amplification partners, but it wasn't because we just reached out to random people on the internet that have huge followings. It's because we had been, you know, genuinely interested and engaged with them for years and sharing their content and getting excited with the stuff that they're working on. And so that really helped us. And it was an important channel, but it was one that was available because we'd done some of that pre-work. So I hope that answers your question. No, totally. To the point about uh, actually l- having people put that plant the seed in their head is kind of like active. They go from just being s- just motionless to active con- consideration. The example I heard someone say recently was it's not until you get a note from your dealership saying that your l- car lease is almost up that you then start thinking, Oh man, I can buy any car in the world now. Like I need to, I need a new car. And that's when you actually start driving on the road, looking at every car being like, mm-hmm. I want that one. Oh, I'd try that one. Oh, yeah. I'd try that one. But you don't think about that when you're on the road, when you don't have a lease that's about to expire. It's kind of that interesting thing where once you remember that that exists in your life, that's mm-hmm. all you can think about and see around you. 
Totally. I mean, this is one of the things that we teach with the cheat sheets, but there's, when you think about the typical buying journey, oftentimes there's a trigger that moves some from somebody from, I am totally disinterested. I have no, you know, I'm not even going to notice this in my stratosphere through to kind of like being in the passive looking stage where they're like noticing things. And then there's usually some type of catalyst that will push them into actively looking for a solution. And with that car example, I love it because it's like, there's probably a trigger that happens in their life at some point when maybe it's an expensive auto repair bill or whatever that they start thinking about, okay, like, you know, this is going to be a problem I'm going to have eventually. But, and they might notice, you know, hear friends talking about their new car or see them notice when they post like, you know, look at me driving around my new sports wagon or whatever. And they're kind of like, they, they're not really in the buying journey yet, but they're noticing. But then when that catalyst of, okay, your lease is up, now I'm going to start actively looking. Now I'm going to start investing, like investing real time in searching for something. I'd say it's probably the same with the people who are following us because the fact that they were already in the audience meant that at some point they had been triggered to realize there was something that was missing from the way that they were leading marketing, right? And that yeah. they were seeking out supports and resources to help them to level up. We do it all the time, you know, and when you follow somebody online, when you download a resource, when you le- read a blog post, you may not be ready to buy yet, but you're clearly in that buying journey. And so we knew that the people who were following us for the most part, whether they were on the email list or whether they were following me on social they were in that buying journey, but that we needed to activate them and start getting them ready to think about actively consuming. And that was what some of our kind of pre-launch content allowed us to do is to kind of prepare them that this catalyst is going to be coming up. And the catalyst is going to be for 24 hours, you can get this thing for a hell of a deal. And so we wanted to kind of prime them so that when the catalyst happened, they had already passively been thinking about how cool would it be to have this thing. Totally. That's awesome. Yeah, let's let's wrap things up here because I think that was a great summary of kind of what goes into actually listening to your customers. To to recall that first question I asked at the beginning of the episode, like what does it actually mean to listen to your customers? We just uh, kind of went through a bunch of examples, and kind of my favorite ones was listening over time really gives you that context of how the sentiment maybe is changing in the market, and then you've got kind of formal and informal ways to actually do that during the actual buying journey, when you're ready to reach out and do those formal interviews to really focus on the the actual buying journey and less about the problem, because these are now your customers. They, they already get what you do. Now you're trying to hear about those trigger points and like when they went from passive to active consideration and those kind of things. And then thirdly, once you have all that information, that's when you start looking for those unique touch points and ways to engage people to get them to consider your option and consider your product as it's before it's available. So that once it goes live, you have people waiting in line, ready to buy it, which is mm-hmm. which is exactly what happened with us. So we're going to wrap up this, this episode talking about the pre-launch and kind of the design of the launch. But stay tuned for an episode in the coming weeks where we're going to talk about how we're now going to use these hundreds of new customers that we just acquired and how we're going to turn that into new research that we can do for forthcoming launches and our new marketing campaigns and all the stuff we have planned for 2021, which is super exciting. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks guys for listening today. Hey there. I wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening to the show. I absolutely love getting nerdy with you and our guests each week. It is just so much fun. And speaking of nerdy marketing stuff, 
Have you heard about the power of reciprocity in marketing? Reciprocity is one of the best methods you can use to persuade people to take action. It's simple. Give something small for free before you ask for a sale. You see this all the time in marketing. Sometimes it's a free sample, a free trial, or even a free podcast like this one. With that in mind, I've got a small favor to ask. If you've gotten at least one aha moment while listening to the show, could you go to Apple Podcasts and give Customer Show a five-star rating? It'll only take a few seconds, and ratings are really the best way to help new people discover the show. I see every rating and am beyond grateful for each one. And who knows, maybe one day you'll need something from me and then I can return the favor for you. So thanks again.